Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Leviticus. We've made it to chapter 24. We're almost through this book and it seems we're moving right along with the Old Testament readings, which I never would have thought we would get through so quickly, but here we are. We're chapter 24, verse 1. It's the third book in the Bible, you know, the standard issue American version of the New King James Bible. New King James Version Bible is what I'm using. I'm using the Blue Letter Bible.org website to um, read from it if you want to join me and don't have a hard copy in front of you. And it's a red letter version, that's why I like using it. And just so in case you don't know what that means, the red letters are the in the Bible are the red letters are the things Jesus are um are quotes of Jesus. And if you haven't read with me before, you may not know it, but uh, the books that have anything Jesus even said in them only exist in six of the books of the Bible. Um and that doesn't even happen until the New Testament. So it lets us know a few things that and one of the one of the, that's not the least of which is that the whole Bible is not Christianity. Some people will try to tell you the whole Bible is from Genesis to Revelation is talking about one God, a monotheistic God, and is all a Christian message. It's not. There are many different re- religions in the Bible, and Christianity is just one of them. And like I said, only a tithe of those sixty plus books have anything at all that relates to or at least is a quote of what Jesus said so we aren't reading in that today and this is a a, a special reading I guess you'd say because it's not Monday or Wednesday where we usually read in the Old Testament and Saturdays is when we read what Jesus has to say from the New Testament this is a Thursday reading uh, because I had the time and figured why not we're almost through this book anyway so without all that being said let's begin Leviticus chapter 24, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and like I said again and again, because that seems to be how these chapters start out, refer to the book of John in the New Testament. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. At the very beginning of the book, chapter 1, you'll see what it says about uh, the Lord speaking to people. And and then read again in chapter 5 what Jesus says about people hearing God and seeing God. And you'll see it contradicts what's what we read here in the Old Testament again and again and again about people interacting directly with the Lord. So that means either it's not the Lord God Almighty they're interacting with or there's some sort of device or intermediary that the Lord is using that's not said here to speak to and uh, talk with people but then in one instance there's someone even wrestling with the lord so to wrestle with someone wouldn't you have to be in person with them to do that uh so it contradicts what another part of the by other parts of the bible say so you have to choose what you want to believe verse 2 command the children of israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually. So there's lots of detail, attention to detail in the Old Testament from the quote unquote Lord. And then from here on, I'm just going to say the Lord, since that's how it's written, even though I don't uh, believe that this is the Lord God Almighty giving out all these micromanaged details about offerings and clothing and beard trimming and all of that. But believe what you want. Again, I identify as Christian, so I lean on what Jesus has to say since he's the one with the title of Christ, Messiah, the anointed one, not anyone else in the Bible. So um, keep that in mind as you read, but it's the Lord, it says, giving these commands about 
making sure there's uh, the lamps for the oil for the lamps is there so that they burn continually almost like an Olympic torch. Verse three, outside the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle meeting, Aaron shall be in charge of it from evening until morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. It's another phrase that happens again and again in the Old Testament, that these are statutes forever in your generations, meaning the people who were doing them back then, if, it, if they, people were doing it back then, Forever means forever. It means it should be still be done now. And yet, how many churches, or in this case, synagogues or temples, since it's a different religion than Christianity, how many of them do you see doing that? See, well, we know Aaron can't be doing it because Aaron's moved on, but it's supposed to be his descendants um, as the priest line, the priesthood, they've been appointed to that for those duties. Are the descendants of Aaron in the synagogue or temple that you go to worship in still doing that? Making sure that the oil is full and the lamps are burning continually. If you're an Old Testament believer or a thumper, um, believing that you should be abiding by the whole Bible, then that should be being done. Not to mention all the animal sacrifices and the blood sprinkling around altars and all of those things. Statutes that are according to what, how they read forever. So if you're not doing them, then, then do you really actually believe that? Or are you just thumping? Verse four, he shall be in charge of the lamps uh, on, he shall be in charge of the lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. So the pure gold lampstand, that's some of the relics that were created, the relics now, they were created new then for the services and worship. And um, probably they do still survive by some wealthy, extremely wealthy person, family, organization that hoards these things and keeps all the information to themselves, even though isn't it supposed to be shared so that more people can know it and follow it. But, you know, it is what it is. So if it is still exists in modern times, then uh, according to this, one of the descendants of Aaron by blood should also still be tending to it. Verse 5, and you shall take fine flour and bake 12 cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. So the fact that it says two-tenths of an ephah, I don't know how much an ephah is, but it sounds something like about the size of uh, a five-pound bag of flour that you would get. So then two-tenths of that. But that's just my guess. I don't know that that's what it is at all. When we tried looking it up before, I seem to recall it being um, a much larger measure, measure measurement than that. Um, but... Whatever the case, the most important part of noteworthy part is that now the Lord's paying back attention to the dietary restrictions and dietary requirements and making sure that um, the fine flour and the bread are baked and provided for and that cakes are made from it. And okay, verse six, you shall eat, set them in take, excuse me, you shall set them in two rows, six in a row on the pure gold table before the Lord. So we read about this pre when we read about this previously about the showbread as it's called. Um I believe it seems to allude to the fact that in a grand picture, big picture, grand scheme of things sort of way, this is laid out so that thousands of years later, hundreds of years later, uh, the time of David when he arrives on into the narrative, that bread would be laid out for him. For when he's on the run 
and needs something to eat. And the priest provided for him. And then that narrative was laid out, it seems, either uh, it would have to be from um, above, but or just made up completely, which would be hard to believe this is just made up. But either way, so that then Jesus in the time of Christ would be able to reflect back on the David and showbread and priest uh, narrative. Um, so this is the same. It seems to be this, uh, more of that, the bread being laid out as an ordinance for the people, the priests to follow. Verse seven, and you shall put pure frankincense on each row that it may be on the bread for memorial and offering made by fire to the Lord. So it's um, the frankincense. You, I don't think you can eat that. Um, so I think that's the point of putting it on top of the bread to show that it's holy, uh, a holy uh, dedication to the Lord um, by the religion. And it says an offering made by fire. And you, it, when I would read that before, I thought that meant, okay, it gets burnt up. Why would you bake bread so that you can burn it up? But that's not the case. Uh, we've read again and again that the offerings by fire don't mean that it's necessarily burnt to a crisp or to ashes at all. It means that a memorial portion is burned, and that doesn't even mean completely burned either. And then the rest is the priest, belongs to the priest. So basically, this is a meal set out for the priests to eat and enjoy. And we read that also when you read the David narrative I was mentioning. And when Jesus talks about it, that it's bread laid out and supposedly just for the priests for them to eat. So um, we know that when it says by fire, it doesn't mean necessarily it's burned up. Just that fire is used either to bake it, you know, make it, barbecue it or um, offer it, but not completely consumed by fire necessarily with each of these offerings. Verse eight, every Sabbath, he shall set it in order before the Lord continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. So again, everlasting, talking about forever, meaning they were doing it back then. It should be being, it should be being done now. That's what everlasting, that's what forever is. So if you, again, if your holy uh, place, if your religious place is not, believes all of that, uh, that it's the same, then why aren't they doing this? Um, and it says every Sabbath, so that's once a week, regardless of what day you believe your Sabbath falls on, it means once a week, this should be being done and, um, and taken from the children of Israel, meaning that those are the people, the congregation are the ones offering it. So if that's the case also, then if it is being done in your, uh, religious organization in modern times, then it should be. Um, supplied by specifically that group of people, the children of Israel, not just anyone in your congregation. So there's different little technicalities that need to be met for it to actually meet these requirements. Verse 9, and it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. So again, it's not to be burnt to a crisp. It's so that they can eat it. It's provisions for the priests who are ministering to the tabernacle, temple, synagogue, to the place of worship. That's what it is. It's not, it's, it's offered to the Lord, but it's not actually being burnt up like you might imagine. Like I used to think that that's what it meant. Verse 10. Now, the, and it says perpetual again, so should still be doing that now. Verse ten. Now the sons of, now the son of an Israelite woman, 
whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel. And this Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. So, you know, like people do, they have arguments. And in that case, they had a fight. But notice that it mentions specifically that the ethnicity of the people. That one is an Israelite and, and um, she's with uh, an Egyptian. So remember also when the people were rescued from slavery, from enslavement in Africa and in Egypt, um, that they didn't go up alone. It wasn't just the Hebrew people, which again, don't assume that they're all one color either. Because think about what this was thousands of years ago, thousands and thousands of years ago for one. And then remember the part of the world that this is taking place in, it's just north of or just outside of Africa. Uh, so it's not what churches in modern times or religious organizations in modern times would have you believe that everyone's snowy white with blue eyes and blonde hair. This part of the world has barely any uh, blonde and blue people even now. And not that that matters to me, but so that you understand how things, how stories can be snatched up and changed uh, and narratives changed to suit particular people, even though that's not how they originally were. Um, but notice here, so that there's an inner, uh, inner ethnic marriage between uh, an Egyptian and an Israelite. And remember, they didn't go up alone. It was a mixed multitude, according to the narrative that left when they were freed from enslavement. And here you have uh, one of those mixed marriages. And with a fight breaking out between the son of the mixed marriage and an Israel, um, and a man of Israel, so an Israelite. So how does that go? Verse 11, an Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. So as always, forgive me on the pronunciation. If it's incorrect, it's how I see it. And, you know, so if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Forgive me. But so it's saying that what happened was uh, he cursed and that doesn't necessarily mean what you may think of cursing in modern times using blue language, foul language, but it may actually mean a curse, like he's uh, pronouncing a curse like GD, someone, or something like that. It's not real clear, but it's saying that he cursed the name of the Lord, um, and that was the blasphemy that he did. Um, so just for curiosity's sake, let's see what it says, what the word Lord is translated from here. Um, it's, um, on the site, it actually doesn't give a translation for that phrase of the Lord. Uh, previously, when we read the word Lord so far in the Old Testament, it gets translated. It turns out it was translated from many different names or words. Um, and in this case, there isn't one listed, strangely enough. I'm guessing it's Jehovah, but that's just a guess. Like I said, it doesn't say um, specifically in the hard copy of the Bible. And here on the blue letter Bible, it doesn't say either. So uh, I don't know. You'll have to, if you're interested in finding that out, you'll have to do more research yourself to see uh, what it, what Lord, they're, who it is they're calling Lord in this instance, who whose name was blasphemed. So anyway, it's also laid out the lineage or the parentage of who it is who said it. It was a daughter of the tribe of Dan, one of the 12 to 14 tribes attributed to the tribes of Israel. 
Verse 12, then they put him in custody that the mind of the Lord might be known to them, might be shown to them, excuse me. Um, so maybe it'll show the translation of the word Lord here. Yeah, okay, so Lord is, in this case, being translated from the word Jehovah. So that seems to be what it's saying, that he blasphemed the name of Jehovah uh, in the, um, his cursing. And so they, he was taken into custody, basically arrested for doing that uh, by the religious authorities. Because remember, that's who's the law enforcement at that time, um, because it's religious law that's being enforced. So they've taken him into custody to see what the Lord would have done to him as a judgment. Verse 13, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, okay, so now you have another conversation with the Lord and Moses over someone saying the wrong thing. Where was the conversation when there was the rape? Where was the, of, of Tamar? Where's the, uh, or was it Dinah, the rape of Dinah? Where's the conversation with the Lord when Tamar was uh, having, had sex with her father-in-law and he got her pregnant? Where was it then? Where was the conversation with the Lord through the different outrageous atrocities we've read about so far and in the others to come when there doesn't seem to be a peep from the Lord when those happen but when something like this happens you get an immediate response an immediate conversation like when one Aaron's sons offered according to narrative profane fire as it's called because they were trying to be reverent and make an offering that they weren't told to offer immediately stricken down um, by the quote-unquote Lord right then why is there such an instant karma type reaction for some things that seem so minor, like saying the wrong thing or making an offering when you aren't supposed to, and yet silence, crickets, when people go through all kinds of horror? It's sort of like in modern times where the Bible says, woe to those who join house to house till there's no room. And yet you see that's exactly what's happening in America, a so-called God, God-fearing Christian nation uh, that thumps the Bible at the things that are in it, but don't actually bother doing them because they're allowing properties to be brought up by the mega wealthy and developers who already own 10, 12, 100,000 other properties. And then, but at the same time, allow people to be homeless, giving out multi hundred million dollar contracts for people to play or talk about a game uh, while people are homeless in the same country. It makes no sense at all. And yet that's exactly how it is in America and not a peep from the Lord. Whatever name you want to use for the Lord, not a peep. Crickets as people sleep under bridges, get evicted from homes or go without food, not a peep. While others sit on mountains of money, even flying into space with so much money. It's it's sick. It's really, really sick. And yet there seems to be no response from the Lord. Verse 14, take outside the camp him who is cursed. Then let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him. So now you have the same, if you're going to believe the Genesis to Revelation story that it's all the same Lord. You have the same Lord who just gave the people the Ten Commandments, which remember, those didn't start at the beginning of the Bible. Those didn't happen until the second book of the Bible, uh, as far as thou shalt not kill, or if you want to say thou shalt do no murder, however you want to say it, thou shalt not take that life intentionally or premeditatedly. And yet you see here that same Lord, if you're going to believe it's the same Lord, telling people to go commit murder, telling people to go take a life, telling people to take a gather as a group, as a mob, and to take the life of someone who said the wrong thing. 
how can that possibly be the same Lord that Jesus talks about where you're allowed to be forgiven for uh, anything? Jesus says all the sins and blasphemies people may utter are forgivable except for blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So that's another contradiction. How can those possibly be reconciled as the same Lord and the same God if you believe God is the same yesterday, today, and forever like holy like holy rollers will tell you? You can believe that if you want to. It doesn't make sense. So now they're being told to stone to death someone who said the wrong thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And said the wrong thing because other people said he said the wrong thing. They accused him of it. And doesn't the Lord have ears? Couldn't the Lord have heard God's self and stricken him down just like he struck down the sons of Aaron? No, instead, it's relying on humans to make the accusation and accuse the person of blaspheming and cursing and then putting it into their hands to take the life, a.k.a. the death penalty. Why would the Lord use instant karma for something like someone trying to do something righteous, like make an offering, but then leave it to humans to go ahead and kill someone after telling them thou shalt not kill? Again, if you believe that's the same Lord, believe what you want. It just doesn't make any sense. Excuse me, then verse 15. Then you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. So now... Um, it's uh, the cursing of God says it's uh, a sin and you're going to bear the sin for it but if that's the case why again doesn't God just lash out or react on God's own what's the point of leaving into human hands to do it and then also what's to stop humans from just falsely accusing someone of blasphemy sort of like how they accused Jesus before the uh, crucifixion of saying what he um, um, saying he destroyed a temple and built it again even though that's not what he said yet they're allowed to make those accusations why wouldn't that be considered a blasphemy you're accusing the lord the son the lord the lord's son of blasphemy why wouldn't that be an instant karma situation where you strike them down so everybody can be like oh wow they were lying they were just misleading people jesus really is the christ okay let's turn and believe him no, not at all. Instead, it happens as we know it unfolded, at least according to the narrative. It seems very inconsistent. It seems almost humanly inconsistent. But you see that we're just reading what it says. So um, the curse for the punishment for blasphemy is getting stoned to death with stones. And perhaps the reason the people who heard it put their hands on his head before stoning him to death with stones is so that they um their hand is literally taken uh you know they have a hand literally in it so if they're lying about the blasphemy then they have blood on their hands and if they're telling the truth about the blasphemy then it's their hands that are delivering the recompense for it but again why would the lord need people to do that when the lord could just strike them down with fire instantly and then that would be a sign to anybody who sees it that okay well all the crazy things you might feel like saying you won't say that because you could get stricken by lightning nope verse 16 and whoever blasphemes the name of the lord shall surely be put to death all the congregation shall certainly stone him the stranger as well as him who is born in the land when he blasphemes the name of the lord he shall be put to death so Again, the punishment for saying the wrong thing, blasphemy as it's called, 
um, the name of the Lord. And here Lord is being translated from the word Jehovah again. Uh, the punishment again seems is the death penalty for saying the wrong thing. Does that really seem like what the Lord God Almighty would be focused on? Taking a precious human life for saying the wrong thing and then leaving it into the hands of uh, flawed individuals, people, humans to do it. But it's how the narrative reads, so that's how we're reading it. That That's what the requirement is, that if you blaspheme, then you um, are to be put to death. And it's the people who do it. Verse 17, whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. Now, right back to contradiction. You just told, they were just told to take him outside and stone, take him outside the camp and stone him to death. If that's not killing, what is? Um, but it says, uh, if you, if you kill someone, maybe there's a different translation for the word kill. Let's see. Nope. It says kill. And the word is naka, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. So if you kill someone, the translation for it. I mean, the punishment for it is the death penalty. And yet, isn't the death penalty killing? I guess you're supposed to draw some um, some differentiation between taking a life in the name of the Lord and taking a life for whatever other purpose if you kill someone. Verse 18, whoever kills an animal shall make it good, animal for animal. So now... Apparently, there is a difference between killing and taking a life deliberately because there have been ordinances laid out for you to kill those animals for sacrifices. Yet, I guess that's not considered killing. I guess it's the intent that matters in this case when it talks about taking lives. So if you kill an animal, you have to make it right, basically pay restitution for it. Um, But if you kill a man, you have to pay with your life. Verse 19, if a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor as he has done, so shall it be done to him. So that's the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth tooth doctrine, that whatever injury you cause to someone else, a disfigurement that is, then um, you have to be disfigured the same way. So if you burn someone, you get burned. If you cut off somebody's arm, you get your arm cut off. Um, We know that, so actually some parts of the world do still do that. Only they don't go by this religion. There are other religions that are faithful to that um, that aren't this religion. This The uh, branches of this religion, as far as I know, generally don't do that. So you can see how things get changed over time and morphed and adopted by other things and, and not staying pure to the original intent. Um, I guess that's the nature of time. Verse 20, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And as he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. So, again, that's the eye for an eye doctrine. But Jesus in the New Testament tells us Christians not to do that, but to instead turn the other cheek. When someone slaps your own cheek, turn the other to them. So, again, you have to choose. If you're a Christian, are you going to go by what Christ tells us? Or... If you're some other religion, are you going to go by that? And if you're this religion, aren't you supposed to be looking forward to when the Messiah, the Christ, came to bring us the fulfillment of the law, which was Jesus Christ? And if it wasn't Jesus Christ in your mind or in your belief system, 
who's it going to be and when's it going to be? This was what, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And Jesus came more than 2,000 or just about 2,000 years ago. So you're still waiting for someone else, another Messiah, to, or someone else to be Messiah and bring you the fulfillment of the law. That's not going to be the end of time, the end, the judgment day. So you're anticipating what we call the second coming for a clarification of these sort of things, these sort of laws and regulations, so that from there, then you can pick up what's the uh, doctrine to be adopted by you. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But believe what you want. Uh, verse 21, And whoever kills an animal shall restore it, but whoever kills a man shall be put to death. So making it clear again, if you kill an animal, restitution. If you kill a man, it's your life. Um, but the ones taking your life, they aren't. it's not considered killing when they do it, even though they are killing you. Verse 22, you shall have the same law for the stranger and for one from your own country, for I am the Lord your God. So it's letting them know that whether it's a Hebrew person or a sojourner, with them, like the mixed multitude we talked about earlier. Either way, it's going to be the same law for all under it. That it's the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth uh, doctrine uh, for all. Um, thank God Jesus came along for us Christians to bring us something with grace. Verse 23, Then Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and they took outside the camp him who had cursed and stoned him with stones. So the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. So they're faithful to that. They aren't always faithful to some of the other stuff. Um, but they're faithful to going ahead and taking a life. And that's what they did. They took the person who cursed, said the wrong thing. Same thing, by the way. It's not the same thing because it wasn't blasphemy in the case of John the Baptist. Um, but he also got the death penalty for something he said. Uh, Jesus got the death penalty for something he said. Not blaspheming, but something that offended the religion and in the case of John the Baptist the political power of the day getting the death penalty um, so the death penalty is nothing new and here it's being sanctioned by the quote unquote Lord even though Jesus lets us know Christians have a different set of um, a different uh, set of regulations as far as how judgment goes for us thank God and thankfully, that's the end of this chapter, so it's also the end of this reading. As always, I appreciate you checking it out with me, and hope it was a blessing for you. And I hope you'll join me again. You can hear the past readings here on this platform, Anchor and Spotify and others. Um, or if you're an adult, you can go to my platform, HungTGirl.com, and hear the past readings there. But you'll only see the past readings of the red letter readings there on my site. Because um, again, I identify as a Christian, so it's Christ's teachings that I lean into and believe in and hope for salvation from, um, not the rest of the Bible. Although the rest of the Bible in my mind, at least from the Old Testament, from what we read so far, points to why we Christians should lean into, heavily lean into what it is Jesus has to say. So stay safe. Thanks again. And God bless you. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.